Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you with me. My guest is keynote speaker and founder of Major League Dad. His name is Gary Freeman. Gary, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Oh, thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm definitely excited to be here and I appreciate you, man. Our topic today is on generational abuse in fathers. In some cases, it can mask and hide itself in religious institutions, organizations, and even church leadership. You have your own personal story and experience to share. What happened? Yeah, I, I guess you could say this, starting with this, I was a PK. I kind of always throw that out there, um, which stands for pastor's kid. Um, but growing up in a, in a home where um, it kind of seemed like if you're a pastor's kid, everything is kind of like hunky-dory. Um, but to be honest, it was a very uh, tumultuous relationship between my dad and I. Um, it was a lot that kind of went into um, a lot of wounds that I've really just started now, man, at 38 years of age, starting to really see and, you know, be able to take on through really diving into the gospel and, and um, being able to um, take that way, but also with therapy um, and combining all of that um, to be able to really dig deep into what I felt. To be honest, it was it was rough. Um, and it was rough because it was more from a... Um, this kind of moral standing that you automatically have, that you automatically have to take on rather um, because you're the pastor's son. So, um, but then going home and having, you know, major bouts um, with my dad in terms of, you know, getting cussed out or if there was like physical trauma or things done to my mother or I, I, it was just, it was very confusing as a child. Um, I, I tell this story often, especially if I'm speaking or something where um, when I was 10 years old, um, my dad came in my room one night and um, he just said, uh, he sat down and sat next to me uh, as I was watching TV and he said, hey man, you know you were a mistake, right? And I just remember just at that age, like coming from a pastor and at that age, not knowing what that was going to be, you know, doing to me you know, in terms of mentally or emotionally and what that meant for me and my confidence um, as a young man. Um, and I remember that because, you know, when I said I had a chance to speak with my dad two years prior to him passing, um, I was able to ask, like, do you even remember that, you know, saying that to me? And he didn't. But at the same time, again, when I heard more of his story, I understood. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, you know, getting even an apology for it. It was just a matter of, ah, I get it. But of course, you know, growing up as a child, all of that is making the wound that had to be, you know, at 20 years later has to now be healed, right? So I would say definitely growing up, um, it was rough because it was a lot of emotional wounds and a lot of things that were cut open that way um, from instances like that regularly um, in our household. So it was it was it was tough, but um, I, I mean, I'm grateful for that conversation with my dad. Um, the last two years of his life was the best ever, so I'm grateful for redemption in that way. But you know, there's still wounds that were caused 
um, of growing up in the household. Why is it so important for dads to know who they are spiritually and generationally, and how can it help them break cycles? Yeah, um, I think the the confidence of knowing whose you are um, and knowing that, you know, the, 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 the God that we serve um, is the one who gave you every gift, every talent that you have, that he has a purpose for it. So it, it helps put in perspective, um, again, understanding whose you are um, so that you can understand who you are in this big puzzle of of life, the way that it feels, it's like, man, but you have a purpose, you have gifts, you have talents, you have things that are specific that work in the plan of God. So spiritually understanding that I think can help um, set you up generationally because you're pushing that forward into your children and into your family. And you want that to seep into their lives and for them to understand whose they are so they can understand who they are. And I think that generationally causes the same rift that we kind of see when the opposite happens, right? So if, you know, there's an alcoholic father or an abusive father, those things tend to trickle. Um, even if we don't want them to, they tend to trickle in different ways in the family throughout generations until there's a stoppage at some point. Um, so I think the spiritual aspect of just knowing God's love for you and, and the and the um, and the way that He went about it and the lengths that He went about um, loving us, I think helps me and should help us all understand um, His plan for us. And I think any father um, who understands that as a man, because I, again, I, I really truly believe that you know the father is just a role of a man. So if a man is able to understand and have confidence in who's he and whose he is or who he belongs to, to understand now what he's supposed to go and do. Um, I think that caused a generational rift that we want. Um, and that, that wave being one that man, life is still going to happen, but we can cling to um, who God created us to be and that confidence that we now have. So um, spirituality is, is extremely, extremely huge. I think in the role of a father, because that's the foundation of just, you know, manhood in itself, but also in how you facilitate going forward and how you, um, I want to say, preach that to your children. Um, but I don't want to scare guys and just say everybody's a preacher, but um, how we actually put that into our families, put that into our um, um, wives if, if married and really kind of push that forward and start that in our generations to come. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is there's a big difference between who you are and whose you are. And it it's not interchangeable. There is a sequence. There is an order. You first have to understand whose you are before you will ever be able to understand who you are. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I would say, you know, um, that that's something that I've, I feel like, you know, I don't I don't want to just push that on anybody, but I feel like that truly makes a difference. Um, as much as a tongue twister as it is to say in terms of who you are versus now who you are, um, I think that ownership of knowing that somebody loves you so much that he would be willing to put on the cross his own in Jesus and saying, hey, I love you this much, that translates in a way of like, man, 
I now have that confidence to go and be who God has created me to be with every gift and every talent that he disposed into me. Um, and when I was being knitted in my mother's womb, you know, so I really feel like that that's an order that if we understand that spiritually, emotionally, physically, that it all belongs to God in the first place. And that's me as well in his large plan of redemption, the man, like nothing can stop us. I've had Chris Bruno on the program before talking about the train of addiction. It's often a generational train and it can be anything from alcoholism to physical abuse or even both. When you make that decision to jump off the train, the train doesn't stop moving and the landing is painful, even traumatic. What happens in those first few moments after you jump is critical to you staying off the train and not running back to the nearest station. Who surrounds you in that moment is essential to your success. What did that look like for you? And what do you recommend for dads who are abusers, both in leadership and those who aren't? Those, those, those first moments, or um, I, I kind of consider them like blind steps. It's almost like you know something is, is wrong. Um, you know something isn't right. You have all these feelings and you're trying to run around and fix them yourselves um, or yourself, excuse me. Um, but I think for me, it was really the ability to like humble myself to know that, hey, I can't fix this. There's a lot mm. that's, you know, that has happened. And even if it's not my fault, it's kind of manifested its way into how I now operate. So this operating system that I have has to be recalibrated um, mm -hmm. and I can't do that by myself. So mm -hmm. um, jumping off that train, literally, I, I, I kind of envision, I love that um, um, that metaphor analogy of, of jumping off the train because it's so scary. It's moving so fast. <laughs> yep, it <laughs> and, is. You know, you're, you know, and it's like, man, I'm just jumping off and I don't know what's going to happen. But I think a key concept for me in that jump is closing my eyes because if I close my eyes, I get to under, I get to like stop and just visualize like, Hey, I'm doing this, but I'm going to close my eyes. And then what happens when I open, if I know where to land or if I don't know where to land, <laughs> I've made the initial step. And yes. as scary as that is, here we go and getting ready for that ride. And I think that part of it is probably the hardest for anybody. Um, but I think especially um, for the abuser or the abused um, is just really being able to humble yourself and realize, like, wait a minute, like, what is going on right now? And am I really willing to tackle it knowing that I need help? I need others to come in and to walk with me and to be in this space of leadership. Um, like I like I said, I grew up, you know, as a pastor's kid, but I saw a pastor operate in a way that I felt like, man, this isn't necessarily godly. So what, what happens? Like who's, who's there to like kind of help or, you know, dig in or call out or step in and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's just as important to have good people, um, you know, praying, praying over you and, and holding you accountable. Um, and again, that's a big reason for Major League Dad, because I feel like, again, that 30% is assumed to be okay. Um, but a lot of those, they need to jump off a train too. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how do we, you know, truthfully address it? 
Um, but I think that unless we actually just take that deep breath and humble ourselves and say, hey, I really want to do this, you know, the right way. Um, it's going to come some lumps, going to come some bruises, jumping off of that train. But man, when you heal, there's nothing like, you know, that process of seeing those bumps and lumps go away over time um, and being able to trust that you made the right decision in jumping. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I, I love that analogy, man. So <laughs> I think about it all the time now. Um, and, and I think it's just it fits in so many different scenarios of just life. And I think you ex- you accentuated this other point that I kind of wanted to come circle back and reclarify. It's mm-hmm. easy to imagine that an abuser would need to jump off the train to, right. to cease that behavior. Mm-hmm. But if you are the victim and yeah. you're and you're going into a new family, you may not have a, even started abusing your family yet, but you still have this baggage yeah. from from this train. You yeah. still have to jump too. Yeah, and that's that. That I can say is my life. Um, even with my my marriage, and the first three to four years of my marriage was a combination of seeing these wounds and seeing the baggage get unloaded into my marriage. And being that guy that was like, I'll never be like my dad and end up being exactly like my dad, just manifested in different ways. So I thank God that I have a wife um, who was willing to be like, hey, this doesn't seem right. You know, I love you, but these are the things that are going on. And just seeing, you know, just the different trauma that I was even putting my wife under and going to therapy and really understanding like, man, you know, as an abuser, I need to humble myself and jump off this train too, because I haven't, I haven't dealt with any of really the wounds that I had. Um, I acknowledged them. Right. And I knew that these things had happened, but I never dealt with how it was like manifesting or how it was playing itself out, even in my own marriage. And when I became a father to our first daughter and just different traumas that came with even our second child, um, and, and, and the, the anguish that I was causing towards my wife, like all of that, I know personally as an abuser, you know, a, a lot of guys just take that as, you know, well, I don't hit my wife or, you know, I don't do these things. And it's like, man, you just never know what the form of it is until you really sit down and the Lord is showing you, Hey, this is harming your family. <laughs> so this is, a, a way of abuse that still needs to be handled. That's interesting because your dad might've had a different perspective. So for him, mm-hmm. it might be in his mind. Now he may not be saying this verbally and maybe he did, but in his mind, he's thinking whatever I'm doing to you that you think you're is that I'm abusing you or mistreating you. Oh, you don't know what that is. You have no yeah. idea. Oh man. Yeah. Because yeah. in his mind, what he went through is 10 times worse than what you think you're going to. So it gets downplayed. It gets minimized. Mm. Um, some would call it gaslighting. I mean, yeah. is that a thing? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I think one of, one of my, um, I can remember one of my own lines that I would say to my wife, if we got in an argument or if something serious was happening that I know was coming from baggage that hadn't been dealt with. Um, was like, you have no idea 
what I felt. And I was saying, and I noticed more and more how much I was saying that and how it was a deflection at sometimes it was a deflection from what I needed to actually deal with, with my wife. Mm. And really what it was, was just a reflection of what I hadn't dealt with between me and my own father. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that's a very, that can be very hard to see or to hear, you know, especially because pain is loud um, and it's very loud in our emotions and things of that nature. And sometimes it's just hard to wrap our mind around. Well, it's like, it's not about what necessarily happened to me. It's about what God allowed to happen. And thank God I made it through. But now I'm looking at my own family and I don't want to put them through anything I went through. But at the same time, what am I doing that's affecting my family? And I think learning from the pain um, can help quiet it some to be able to see where it is that I need to actually grow and how I need to speak to my wife and how I need to speak to my children and how I need to think through fathering and all, all of those things. But it couldn't happen until I actually came to grips with like, man, yes, this pain happened, but the purpose of that pain was not to just illuminate it so that nothing can be right between me and my wife. And she could never understand the horror that I went through. She wasn't there. So I do have two children and a beautiful wife that I want to treat well, but I need to make sure that I'm as whole as possible so that I'm not inflicting anything inadvertently or purposefully on them for my own baggage. First Timothy three, two through five seems pretty serious. I just recently stumbled across this and uh, it, I was amazed at how blunt it is. It says, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? The scripture's really blunt. But how does this, how does abuse hide itself so well inside religion? What I grew up seeing was um, the act of religion being something that um, it was so, you could formulate it however you needed it to be, to be able to to perform, to just get what you need. So um, the act of religion was really taken way out of context in terms of now it's just something that I just do because it, it at least makes me look good or it keeps my standard high um, in the eyes of others, but it doesn't ever really call me to any kind of self-accountability um, mm. because I'm not holding what I, what I actually do to those in my own home. I'm not holding it up to the same light of how I just look in front of church members or congregations. And I think that starts elevating itself above what does my wife think of me when I'm up there? You know, am I actually trying to live out, you know, and I'm speaking specifically like from this pastor standpoint of, you know, the mm-hmm. the scriptures that were just read, but it's like, I, I saw that it was like, man, my dad could, 
expound on the word greatly and go, you know, preach people hair on fire and then come home and, you know, cuss me and my mom out. And I couldn't understand it. And I, I really thought about, you know, this standpoint of what gets elevated, what becomes almost like an idol um, in your life that is now bigger than the accountability that you should hold to God and your family. So the the idol of, you know, him looking good for the members um, became bigger than him loving and living out the word in front of his wife and children. Um, and I think in a lot of different areas, you know, even when you look through all the things that are in these verses in Timothy, it's like, you know, these are the things that you're called to. And, and I feel like the perfect person to be able to um, say, you know, is, is this man actually following these things? Is a man's wife, if he's married, um, and his children, like those people that are close to you, your family. Mm. Um, can these things actually be said of me without me saying a word from behind the pulpit? Um, wow. And I think... Um, I really think if that's something that we focus in on as pastors and leaders, um, then I think now you start seeing that becoming the norm within the lives of churches and in the life of the pulpit now, because none of it is, is about us anyway. It's about preaching you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ and being able to understand his love for us. But that means we have to die to so many things daily. And I think mm-hmm. that that means we have to look in our own families first. So I want my wife and kids to be like, yes, those things he tries his best to be each and every day in our home. So that way, whatever is coming out from behind the pulpit um, is landing with eternal purpose versus just a performance. Major League Dad has been mentioned a few times in this episode, and we really haven't gone there. So in the last little bit here before we close, I want to just give you a moment to talk about Major League Dad. What is it? Yeah, um, I guess it's just Emmy. (laughs) So it kind of came up. um, But Major League Dad is a a nonprofit um, that I started back in, um, technically back in 2020, um, which was a crazy, obviously, time to start something. But it was something that was just on my heart um, in terms of what I keep calling that 30%. Um, and being able to speak with or speak in two fathers or have that accountability that's there. So there, so doing different um, curriculums and different things that we offer um, to be able to walk with fathers to really, you know, I call it sneaky discipleship. Um, so really to be able to walk with guys in a way um, that supports them in a holistic manner. So Major League Dad is a nonprofit that um, we get to go and do that and speak in different um, areas, whether it's college or whether it's church men's ministries or, you know, organizations just in the community um, that we get to actually serve within the community. So I st- we strategically go into different um, neighborhoods and help that way with, you know, just different um, bill assistance or rent assistance and things that, especially for a single father, um, that maybe in different counties or cities is not so easy to come, al- come, come up with, um, but just to offer that confidence um, to help them along the way, but to be able to build them. I, I like the uh, the saying where it's like, you know, you, you give a man a fish, he eats today, but um, you teach him how to fish um, and he eats for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I like to even add one more adage to that is we want to teach him to fish as we give him a fish and we get to eat together. 
<laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> I love that. You know, so like taking all of that and combining it into life, uh, life talk, life lessons, um, owning your story, all that kind of stuff is something that we talk through and we kind of offer in the community through Major League Dad. So that's the effort. Um, that's the reason it's a nonprofit that we try to get that out and spread resources and help in that regard. So, Absolutely yeah. love that. How can dads in the audience find out more about Major League Dad and also how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so you can just go. Uh, the easiest way would be to go to our website. It's uh, majorleaguedad.org. Um, and then uh, there's a contact button there. And once you hit that contact button, you can just shoot me an email um, and it comes straight to me. Um, so I can literally I respond, you know, all day, sometimes just from my phone, um, being able to respond to just different things. If you know of different fathers that maybe need assistance or things of that nature, um, we're, we're located in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, but um, because of previous jobs that I did in like national spans, man, I just try to help wherever I can or try to link um, to areas that I know throughout the country as well. So, or, or different organizations. So yeah, so just majorleadad.org or you can shoot me an email to uh, gfreeman uh, at majorleadad.org. So, but the easiest way would just be through the website and just drop me a message there. Okay, perfect. And just to make things easier, if you go to the fatherhoodchallenge.com, that's the fatherhoodchallenge.com, and you go to this episode description, right below the episode description, I'm also going to post the links there. So it'll be easy to find. You just click on it. It will take you right to Major League Dad. So Gary, as we close, what is your challenge to that leader who is caught up in abuse and or addiction? And is scared to make a move towards change. What is your final challenge to them? The the final challenge would be to really start what I call a mirror ministry. Um, and coming out of James. So that mirror ministry is to literally every day um, look, at, look at your life and, and really figure out, like, am I honoring the Lord in what I'm doing today? Um, and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict. Um, and in that conviction... Man, know that in that conviction that that's actually where healing starts. Um, so it could be, you know, being caught up in something and getting caught or being in something that, you know, you know what, man, you finally realize this is not good. This is this isn't how I should talk to people or talk to my spouse or my children or anything. But that first thought is to really humble yourself and look at yourself and be like, man, you know what? There's somebody who loves me enough to check me and I have to be able and be willing to submit to that because the one thing that he wants is a wholeness to come out of, you know, being checked. Um, so really being honest about that, um, not making excuses for it. Um, but really just buckling down and being the best that, you know, you can be because it is generational and we want to be able to pass on that accountability and pass on the character and integrity of, of Christ. And that starts with being willing to be checked, especially as a leader, um, and knowing what that means moving forward and the wholeness that God wants for all of us. So really dig deep into that mirror ministry <laughs> and being able to really um, hold on to what God has, has for us to do. That's some great, great wisdom, Gary. Thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. It's been an honor having you here. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much, man. I'm grateful for the Fatherhood Challenge and even what God is doing through the Fatherhood Challenge. So thank you again for having me, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.